right after the international news. South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington, working on this program very remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Monday, September 26, 2022. Some inmates escape from a prison in Warap State. The inmate tagged the crown inside the fence using one of the malodas which was used for clearing the grasses. When they were detected, they ran away. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Authorities in the Sudanese capital Khartoum have postponed a post-mortem of more than 3,000 unidentified bodies in public mortuaries in preparation for burial. This after rights activists and public opposed the exercise that was scheduled to begin Sunday. Some Sudanese rights activists say the bodies should not be buried without proper autopsy. For VOA News, Michael Atit reports from Khartoum. Dozens of rights activists and family members of those missing demonstrated in front of the public prosecution's office in Khartoum over the weekend, rejecting the decision to bury more than 3,000 unidentified bodies. Earlier this month, the government announced plans to dig mass graves after Sudan's top public prosecution said mortuaries were overcrowded, noting many remains were decaying. In April, the Sudanese Sovereignty Council decided to form a technical committee to bury the unidentified bodies to prevent environmental and health risks. But the move angered families of the missing people. Fadia Khalafallah, a member of the Missing Initiative, a voluntary group that helps families document the list of missing individuals, says the group rejects any move by authorities to bury the bodies before a post-mortem process is undertaken. Speaking at a news conference held in Khartoum over the weekend, Khalafala said they have lost trust in the Sudanese judicial body. She says the group wants international experts to help carry out the postmortem process. We completely lost trust in judicial institutions and forensic institutions. That is why we need to seek international experts. A team from Argentina came to Sudan for this purpose, but they were not granted permission to visit the mortuaries and they were expelled. Last week, the investigation committee into the disappearance of missing persons of the public prosecution decided not to participate in autopsies of burial of the unidentified bodies unless it was accompanied by investigations conducted at the morgue with the help of an international team. Last May, the Khartoum State Minister of Health announced the closure of Bashair Hospital mortuary south of Khartoum after about a thousand unidentified body began to decompose. Speaking to South Sudan in focus today via messaging application, Rehab Mubarak, who lost her 25-year-old brother Musab Mubarak in June 2019 during pro-democracy demonstration, says her family rejects any unilateral decision by authorities to bury the bodies. Mubarak says even though there is no clear evidence her brother's body is among those piled into mortuaries, they do not support the mass burial because it would bury the truth. 
is a definite but pariga zukira these bodies are buried in such a hurry that would wipe away all the existing truth about the missing individuals there are thousands of them who are still missing since 2020 up to now and their families are unable to find their way about legal activist Osman Al-Basari says burying the bodies without proper legal and postmortem procedures is illegal He says the bodies have been decomposing due to negligence of the authorities. Basari says any step to wipe away evidence is not acceptable. We don't support piling up of corpses, but we are in support of proper procedures that preserve the rights of the missing individuals, preserve the environment, and preserve the dignity of the corpses. Sudanese legal expert Adil Abdulghani says the issue of missing individuals is part of the sacrifice of the Sudanese people during the revolution. He says any legal procedure carried out with the unidentified bodies may delay the justice process. If there is any doubt from some activists about the process, I don't see any issue to seek the advice of international expertise. It is true that there was a mistake committed by the former attorney general but this situation cannot continue to exist without a proper solution we cannot keep the situation as it is now after several meetings the committee set september 25th as the date for the start of autopsies in preparation for burial according to the strict procedures and in compliance with the protocol of the red cross in dealing with the unknown bodies A member of the burial committee for unknown bodies, Agil Nur Swaradhab, confirmed to this program that a mass burial has been postponed until further notice, adding that more clarification would be provided tonight at a news conference in Khartoum. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. State officials in Kwajok say they are looking for more than a dozen inmates who escaped from the main prison. The acting director of the prison service in Warap State says 13 male prisoners dug a hole behind the jail and escaped on Friday. General Garang says several security forces, including police and the National Security Service, have been dispatched to search and rearrest the fugitives. For VOA News, Dengai Deng reports from Bor. The acting director of the South Sudan Prison Service in Warabi State, Major General Cristiano Garang, says 13 male inmates escaped after digging a hole behind the Kwajuk Central Prison. The inmate dug the ground inside the fence using one of the molotovs which was used for clearing the grasses. When they were detected, they ran away. We could not find them. We informed the governor and the other security department about the incident. They are all men because they ran from the main sessions. Gerald Garang says several security forces, including police and national security service agents, are hunting for the fugitives. We have written to the police, the national security and other security forces to help us in searching for those inmates who have escaped from the prison. We urge the community's members to also help us by giving the security any information that would lead to their arrest. 
Warabi State Information Minister Ring Deng Ading says state officials will ensure that the SKFs are rearrested and taken back to the jail. What happened is that there was a notorious guy who was imprisoned for his crime and he was sent to the main prison of Kwajok Central. He went inside and mobilized the other prisoners. They were like trying to control the prison so that they could escape. Adding called on prison authorities to be more vigilant as they hunt for the escaped prisoners. The message to the prison service unit is that they are conscientious about the prisoner and orient them well with care because while they are being arrested, they might turn wild. And if you are not aware, even the prisoner can grab the gun and kill you and start shooting. Adding is urging community members in Waraf to remain calm as state authorities manage the situation. For VOA News, I am Dengaiding in Bor. Malawi's President Lazarus Chekwere says his country faces a number of challenges as his government works to lift its economy. He sat down for an interview with VOA's Peter Cloti on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly in New York, which ends this week. If you don't produce, or what you produce, you do not add value, and you export raw material, rather than get involved in real industrialization, particularly in the field of agriculture, because basically we are an agro-based, even though now we are expanding and diversifying to look at other means, then you are at the mercy of forces that do not enable you to produce the forex you need to purchase things. Now, there's been several uh, factors, factors that have rendered us unable to have the forex we need. A debt situation that we inherited, which forces us to uh, give a lot of forex in payment. We have, like I said, not been able to produce as much. A lot of uh, industries were affected even by COVID-19 pandemic. And so that affected that. And then the supply chain has been affected as well in terms of prices of things as a result, uh, not just of the COVID, but as a result recently of the uh, war in Eastern Europe. And so what we would, for example, uh, pay for fuel that would be consumed in three months It's now the same amount in three weeks. And so that has put pressure on everything that we do. And uh, I'm glad to say that now the fewer situation has stabilized because we had to uh, really go out of our way uh, to say this is a priority that needs to be uh, responded to immediately. And uh, we are being... We'll be looking at the other things which we uh, have also set a plan. So when you talk about food and fuels and, and uh, for fertilizers, for example, right. 
that require forex um, uh, a lot, um, we are doing what we can do. In the meanwhile, but in the middle to long term, the plan is the same. Mechanize agriculture, commercialize agriculture, and have many uh, uh, agro-processing factories. So when we diversify our production, and right now we're talking about engaging uh, or going into mega farms. Now, Mr. President, you've had a series of protests by civil society groups. Sometimes some of your opposition uh, supporters have been protesting. Do you think their criticisms and their protests are justified? Because some people are saying you promised that you are in a haste to develop Malawi, to improve the living conditions of Malawi. Yes. They said you are not doing fast. You are not doing fast <laughs> enough. <laughs> How do you respond to that? Uh, this is, this is um, uh, from their vantage point, uh, uh, perhaps a valid point. But you have to understand that we are building institutions. And we are building such institutions that will be able to operate independently and operate according to their mandate and able to deliver services. And when you have pretty much found a broken system and those that have been benefiting from the same will resist any and every type of change you want to bring forward. But the Constitution is clear. People have a right uh, to voice out whatever they feel like voicing out and even uh, assemble and demonstrate. Uh, it has to be done within the constitutional uh, parameters that are given. And I let them do that, express that. There are those that uh, then I would invite uh, to say, can we talk about this? Can we talk about this? And people that are able to engage with me, or I'm able to engage with them, the CSOs and others, and there are many groups, not just those, people understand where we're coming from, where we are, and where we're headed. That was President Lazarus Chikwara of Malawi. He was speaking with my colleague Peter Cloti in New York. listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, South Sudan opens a cybercrime court. Find out the impact on social media in South Sudan after this break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today, how can you help someone Dealing with depression. I just give my time to that person and we discuss matter concerning that depression which that person is facing. First of all, I'll find out what is depressing that person. And when I find out the root cause, of course, I try to advise the person according to what he or she is going through. By counseling the person through counseling and then um, sharing ideas. Maybe sometimes going out for football or watching football, movies, such things can also help. 
I recommend music, the music therapy. Music therapy in the sense that music has a way of giving a soothing feeling whenever the person listens to music. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. South Sudan has opened a cyber court that authorities say will fight online crimes. Gabriel Isaac Awau, the acting undersecretary in the Ministry of Justice and Constitutional Affairs, told journalists that cyber crimes are on the rise across the country. For VOA News, Waike Simon Udu reports from Juba. As acting undersecretary Gabriel Isaac Awokats a reborn opening the new cyber crimes court at High Cinema Residential Area, women ululate while others cheer. Awo says establishing this court marks a step forward in fighting cyber crimes, which he says are increasing injustice in the country. Information technology has really become a concern of all of us, especially within the past 10 years. All of us, or many of us, have experienced many crimes committed by whether a device or a misuse of the computers. The specialized court and a prosecuting attorney will investigate and prosecute cases of cyber crime generated on social media accounts like WhatsApp and Messenger, among others. Isaac says crimes being committed with electronic devices such as computers and telephones have harmed South Sudanese society. He says the Ministry of Justice decided to establish the special court because of the increasing volume of cybercrime activity. The court will follow the 2021 cybercrimes and computer misuse provisional order which was signed into law by President Salva Kiir last May. At the time the cybercrimes order was assent into law by President Kiir, it did not go through parliamentary proceedings because the parliament was not operational at the time. The law mandates the Minister of Justice to establish a specialized unit to investigate and prosecute cybercrime offenses. Isaac says inadequate resources delayed the establishment of the court. He says the court is likely to face challenges such as obtaining certain information to rule on cases at the meantime. Isaac says a technology laboratory yet to be established will be used to investigate some of the cyber crimes. This is the place where you come and submit your claim. You write your petition, will be investigated, then you will get your rights through the court. We want to tell people that the time of fighting and committing suicide and harming our rest, it has gone. Now we are in an era where anybody legally can get the rights. Some offenses defined in the cyber crimes law include disclosure of a password or privately held data, publication of indecent content, and publication of false information online. Article 12 of the cyber crime law states that whoever communicates, discloses, or transmits any computer data, information system, service program, access court, or command to an unauthorized person or intentionally and unlawfully receives unauthorized computer data has committed a criminal offense and upon conviction faces a prison term not exceeding 10 years, a fine or both. 
Article 19 states that whoever publishes false, deceptive, fictitious, misleading or inaccurate information or data presented in a picture, text, symbol or any form in a computer system with the intent to defame, threaten, abuse, insult, deceive or mislead the public has committed an offense and upon conviction shall be sentenced to imprisonment for a term not exceeding five years a fine or both. For VON News, I'm working Simon Wudu in Juba. Uganda says 16 people in the country are now infected with Ebola, while another 18 likely have the disease. According to Reuters, the Ministry of Health also said that four people have died of Ebola, while another 17 that are likely infected. Dr. Amish Adalja, an infectious disease expert with the John Hopkins Center for Global Health, who is also an infectious disease physician, tells VOA's Carol Van Damme that Ebola begins with flu-like symptoms after an incubation period that can last up to 21 days. Starts out with fevers, chills, muscle aches and pains, sore throat. And what happens during that period of time is that the person's body is being infected with the virus and eventually that infection affects the blood vessels and people's blood pressure will plummet. They may have very severe vomiting, diarrhea. Uh, they, they may, in certain cases, have massive interference with the ability of their uh, blood to clot. And this can have a fatality rate that uh, ranges in the 60-70% ballpark, depending upon how quickly people are linked to treatment. So it is a very severe illness. Talk about the situation, if you can, about what's happening in Uganda. How does it spread? Ebola is a a very scary and a very deadly disease, but it's not very contagious. It requires blood and body fluid exposure. So this is going to be close contact amongst family members, uh, amongst people with healthcare workers, for example. If someone goes to a village health center and has, has symptoms of Ebola, those healthcare workers, if they're not wearing personal protective equipment, can get infected. It's, it's really about making sure people have the appropriate personal protective equipment to take care of patients. And that usually is what's able to stop uh, Ebola outbreaks once they understand how people are getting infected and, and put public health measures into place. And recall that Uganda is a place that's no stranger to Ebola outbreaks. They've had them in the past, so they know how to do this. It's a question of getting all of those resources mobilized in a time when a lot of public health resources have been diverted towards COVID-19. So what should Ugandan authorities and those in neighboring countries, for that matter, be doing to prevent this Ebola strain from spreading? The first thing they need to do is increase awareness. People have to be cognizant of the fact that this virus is spreading in Uganda uh, and, and countries that border Uganda should be on the lookout for cases that may or may not be consistent with Ebola. They also have to demystify this disease to the general public, to stop myths about the virus from spreading, to tell people how you get it, what what protective actions you need to take. They also have to make sure that local health workers have the resources to be able to find cases, to be able to diagnose cases, and to be able to take care of those cases in places where there's less risk of contagion. Traditionally, we've seen healthcare workers get infected with Ebola because they don't have adequate supplies to take care of those patients. That will all be something that's uh, that's needed. What we don't want to see is draconian measures. We don't want to see travel bans. We don't want to see border closures. We don't want people to uh, get in a situation where they're trying to hide Ebola cases like we saw in West Africa. Fortunately, um, 
Uganda is a place that's had Ebola, so they don't have that same issue. But we have seen uh, a lot of those authoritarian measures and, and violence occur in West Africa uh, back in 2013, 2014, as well as in, in the DRC uh, with some outbreaks that have occurred in, in recent years. That's Dr. Amish Adelja an infectious disease expert with John Hopkins Center for Global Health. He was speaking with my colleague Carol Van Damme from New York today. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Despite suffering significant losses of territory, senior leadership and fighters in the three-year fight that culminated in his 2017 defeat in Iraq and Syria, the ISIS terrorist group, also known as Daesh, has regrouped and is attempting to expand its influence. According to a recent United Nations report, the threat is particularly acute in Africa as Daesh works to entrench itself across the central, southern, and western reaches of the continent. The terrorist group is forming regional hubs and creating areas of instability across Africa. Some 20 African countries have already experienced such activity, and more than 20 others are being used for logistics, as well as for mobilizing funds and other resources, said Martin Iwi, former head of the African Union Commission's counterterrorism program and currently senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies. He warned that Africa is not only a center of Daesh activity, but could also be the future Daesh Caliphate. What's more, Daesh, or ISIS, is particularly keen to establish itself in countries with plentiful natural resources, like the DRC, and exploit these resources to finance its nefarious activities. ISIS and others continue to take advantage of conflict, governance failure, political turmoil, socioeconomic inequalities and grievances to attract followers and resources, as well as to incite and organize terrorist attacks, said Ambassador Jeffrey De Laurentiis, U.S. Senior Advisor for Special Political Affairs. We are concerned about the increasing terrorism threat across various areas of Africa, outlined in the Secretary General's assessment. ISIS and Al-Qaeda affiliates continue to exploit Africa's long-simmering conflicts to bolster their illicit activities, providing them heightened lethality. ISIS West Africa merits particular focus as the group that has become the largest and one of the most lethal ISIS affiliates outside the core region. It is critical that the international community continues the fight to deny safe haven for terrorist groups and their affiliates, said Ambassador De Laurentiis. The United States continues to provide our African partners critical counterterrorism assistance to disrupt and degrade ISIS and al-Qaeda affiliates, underscoring that capable law enforcement and broader security service responses are essential to prevent and counterterrorism, said Ambassador De Laurentiis. The Secretary General's report provides a stark reminder of the evolving ISIS threat and summons all of us to more collaborative, balanced efforts in countering that threat. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. prepared for you this Monday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs 
and news updates. For world news, go to vonews.com. If you miss this broadcast, go to vonews.com forward slash South Sudan. I'm your host, John Tanz in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.